0: You are listening to the official podcast of The Mission Redlands. We are a growing community living out God's radical love. Man, we're in a series right now called The Best is Yet to Come, and it's not just a series, it's a vision for this next season of The Mission because we believe firmly that God um, we've been a church for 10 years, over 10 years, coming up on 11. And the, in this next season, um, we, we firmly believe that the Lord has said, the, you haven't seen anything yet, that the, that the best is yet to come for this mission family. And so, um, so yeah, we're going to continue on this series. So far, we have um, been sharing incredible stories from the Bible about um, God doing things that um, Humans never imagined in their own story, and uh, just beyond imagination, right? And what's what's cool about our God is like the limitations of our imagination aren't limitations of His. And um, I feel like that deserved just more than one amen, but that's okay. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna keep trucking here. Um, <laughs> so man, so um, uh, we're gonna talk. Um, about uh, an Old Testament story, and we're going to get into that a minute. But getting to that in, in just a minute. But I just want to make clear up front that when we dive into the scriptures today, it's not a commentary on Israel in the current situation, the war that's going on. Um, this is a this is an Old Testament story, and so I don't want anybody to keep, be confused about what I'm what I'm saying. Um, it's definitely not a, a commentary on the situation. Right now. So with that said, who's all ready for story time? Who likes story time? I like it. I like it a lot. So we're going to be talking about a story today that's found in the book of Ruth. Um, And Ruth is a a famous uh, book of the Bible. It's only four chapters. I think it's something like 83 verses total. And so we're going to read each of those 83 verses right now. No, I'm just kidding. We're not. Uh, We're going to check into the book of Ruth. And uh, so the very first line in the book of Ruth, well, before I do that, actually, how many of you guys have stories from your own life where God did something you never imagined? I see a lot of hands around the room, and you can put your hands down, but um, I'm from Columbus, Ohio. Go Buckeyes. And um, if you watch college football... Um, and uh, I'm from Columbus, Ohio, and uh, I grew up kind of in the inner, inner city of Columbus, and outside of the inner city there are a lot of cornfields. And, um, and so I grew up, like people in Ohio are, and I don't say this as a generalization, just as an observation over years and years, uh, people in Ohio tend to stay put, like um, from what I noticed, like lots of people graduate high school. And, you know, they may travel to a few towns over or whatever and put down roots there, but they don't a lot of times move like a cock across the country or anything like that. And so, um, you know, I was, a can you say hell in church? Yeah, you can. I was a hell raiser when I was young. Um, and I don't say that lightly. I was in all kinds of trouble. Um, and I got suspended for two, two weeks in middle school because I left a field trip with some girls that we met. And, um, <laughs> and uh, so I, I was a troublemaker. And uh, there was nothing in my life, let me say this, there was nothing in my life that said anything about me being a pastor in the future, right? Right? Asked my wife, even when like we got married, it was like, pastor, no, worship leader, maybe, you know, um, but the Lord did something incredible in my life, saved me in a, in a very profound way. When I was 18, I had traveled from Ohio to Oceanside. Um, it was just kind of like getting a bigger perspective, just gone through a horrible breakup, And uh, I was staying with some family um, in the Oceanside area in Fallbrook, and um, I was sitting out at this rock jetty at the end of it, and um, the Lord just began to give me a vision. I didn't know that's what it was at the time, but um, of his hand churning up the ocean. And as I got this vision, the ocean around me began to spray and grow bigger and bigger. And all of a sudden, I, like, started to, like, get nervous about where I was, because I'm all the way at the end of this rock jetty, and I'm from Ohio, so I don't really understand how powerful the ocean is, right? And um, and so I, the Lord gave me this vision, and I said to the Lord right then and there, Lord, I, I see you. I believe you're real. I'll follow you the rest of my life. And, um, and a transformation that I can't even fully describe happened in that moment. It's not like all of a sudden I had no sin in my life or anything like that. I was like, I had plenty of stuff to deal with, believe me. But, um, but this moment began a journey that I'm still on today. And never in a million years, when I go back to Ohio and I see somebody from high school that I haven't talked to in like 20 years or whatever, um, when they find out I'm a pastor, which I don't lead with, by the way. Um, they like they're like they don't know what to say. They're like you, you know. Basically, is what their eyes tell me. And um, and so, anyway, so like God did this amazing thing in my life, but He had subtly been weaving His way into my life for that moment of change. There were probably a million little moments that led to that moment that I didn't even notice. And that's sort of where we go, where we're going today with the book of Ruth. And so um, uh, the very first line of the book of Ruth, uh, Ruth is in the Old Testament. Um, It's pretty early on. It's even before the Psalms and all that. Um, Ruth... uh, the first line in the book of Ruth indicates a time period. And it says this, in the days when the judges ruled in Israel, a severe famine came up on the land. Now, I know you all have been in a deep dive of, ju- of the book of Judges, and, uh, and but I, I know you've been studying it and just like, consuming it. and um, But for those who haven't, let me just give you the broad strokes so that we can set up the B- book of Ruth appropriately. I'm having a lot of trouble with my words, sorry. Um, the book of Ruth takes place somewhere... Wait. Let me give you... Oh, yeah. The book of Judges is a very distor- disturbing book. Anybody ever read the book of Judges before? Yeah, it's super disturbing. Um, and it's where Israel has no king, and the different tribe tribes ha, are led by tribal leaders called judges, right? And don't think like, um, you know, gavel judges. Like, think more like warrior clan judges, like in Braveheart. Who, who's seen Braveheart? Okay, good. Whew. Um, I thought I was dating myself for a second there, but I'm good. Anyways, at this point, Israel is an irreverent mess. They're an irreverent mess. In a nutshell, the pattern of this book is a deep spiral downward into Israel's complete corruption. And the spiral looks like this. Israel does something that God told them not to do. They repent for rebelling against God. Uh, God saves them from whatever trouble they're in and then they go on and rebel against God in an even more flagrant way, right? And this happens over and over and over again throughout the whole book and each time this spiral happens, Israel goes deeper and deeper into evil. At this point, where... They be uh, at this point is where they begin uh, idol worship, and that involves um, adult and also children sacrifices. They rape and murder outsiders. They even begin uh, not just outsiders, but they begin to uh, war against themselves, like civil wars and the tribal the tribes themselves that. Um, lead to more murder, more rape, and more idol worship. And, and this the book, like I said, the book of Judges is very disturbing, right? And by the end of the book, there's so much blood on their hands, like other kingdoms' blood, other Israelite tribe blood, that this single line begins to repeat. It's repeated over and over again in the last chapter. And it's this line of the book um, that sets up the next book, Ruth, and it says this. In those days, Israel had no king. All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. In those days, Israel had no king. All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. That seems vaguely familiar. Um, but uh, And basically, what this line means, and is repeated, the tribal system is never going to work if the Lord is going to bless all nations through Israel, we need a king. We need a king. If the Lord is going to bless all nations through Israel, we need a king. This, this tribal judges thing isn't working. And the book of Judges leaves us with this question. Will God be faithful to the covenant he made with the Israelites, Even though they are continually unfaithful to him. Will God continue his covenant of peace with Israel, or will he wipe them all out when he grows weary of their disobedience? Does does God's love for the Israelites have conditions of obedience on it, or does God love his people unconditionally? These are the questions that the book of Judges raises, right? And ultimately, it never answers the questions. And we actually don't even get the full answers until the cross. But it does leave us with this repeated statement. In those days, Israel had no king, and all the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes which is the author's way of saying this isn't working, Israel needs a king. And this is the absolutely gross environment in which we pick up the book of Ruth. This is, this is the environment Israel is in. And, and, uh, so when we get to Ruth, you know what, I want to make this a little bit more visual. If um, I had some volunteers. If, volunteers, if you, could, if you could come up, that would be great. Um, should have six volunteers that Becca got me. So I had th- three couples. Are you volunteering? Oh, okay, okay. Okay. Yo, no, no, I had volunteers already. Thank you, though, bud. I- See, Tim, man. Yeah, Tim. Yeah, Tim. Tim's eager, buddy. I love it. I love that. Awesome. So I have six volunteers, okay? So let me get you situated, okay? So um, let's see. Women, who's the most wise among you? Let's discuss, okay? Okay, okay, Angelica, we're choosing you, okay? Other two women, sit right here, okay? Come over here. All right, okay, so... Let me introduce you to Naomi and, and uh, her husband, Elimelech. So, Presley, if you're still thinking of names, if it's a boy, I highly suggest Elimelech, okay? Um, and then you have uh, Naomi and Elimelech's two sons, okay? I, two sons right here, okay? All right, okay. Yeah, you guys are bros. All right, so... Israel has fallen into so much decay that, like, that there's a massive famine going on. So um, to find food, the people of Israel began to move and settle elsewhere to find where food wasn't so scarce. And uh, there, was a, there was a man named Elimelech. Raise your hand, Elimelech. Okay, Elimelech. And Naomi, they were husband and wife, right? And then they had two sons, And all four of them left Bethlehem because of the famine, and they settled in Moab. So Moab's over here. Travel over here, guys. Well, I usually follow my older brother. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right, all right. Stay here. Stay, come, come closer to me so Owen can get you guys in the camera for people watching at home and for it to be ever recorded on YouTube. Um <laughs> Now, the Moabites had their own gods and their own culture and were the sworn enemy of Israel, right? Which is very concerning. See Numbers 25, for an example. Uh, But nevertheless, the family moves to Moab, and there, Naomi's husband, uh, Elimelech, dies. So give me your best dying face. (laughs) That was pitiful, bro. That was pitiful. That's like a, what's up? Okay, okay everybody scoot over here. So Limelech's dead. We're not told why. We're not told why, right? After this, the two sons marry Moabite women, Orpah and Ruth. So Orpah and Ruth, go, go join your husbands. And about 10 years later, Naomi's sons die too. Give me your best dying face, guys. Okay, okay, that's pretty good. That's that, that, see, that's how it's done, bro. That's how it's done. All right, you guys go ahead and take a seat. And again, we're not told why, by the, why the two sons die, right? And so, all right, so we're here with three ladies. So uh, here, Naomi is left with without all the men in her family. They're all dead, right? And, and she is um, she's in a foreign land, right? She's, she's, in, she's not in Israel. She's in Israel's sworn enemy's land, the Moabites, right? And all she has left are her two daughter-in-laws who are Moabite women, right? The sworn enemy of Israel, right? And so obviously, Naomi and her daughters, right? Oh, I know who's Ruth. Um, uh, (Laughter) Obviously, Naomi and her daughter's grief runs very deep. They just lost the, the men in their lives, and, and she's not, Naomi's not sure what to do, right? So she then hears that the famine, you hear something. Let me see it. You hear something. Right, yeah, like that, only, only more confidently. Okay, yeah, you hear... Right, right. You hear that the famine in Bethlehem is over, and so she decides it's time to go back. So she packs up um, what she has left and her two daughter in laws, and they they set forth for Bethlehem. So so set forth back. Okay, but stop right here. Stop right here. Come a little further. There you go. There you go. Right. So on their way back to Bethlehem. Naomi's grief begins to overtake her, right? And uh, so, so let me see your grief face. Show them. Good, good. Okay. Naomi's grief begins to overtake her, and she decides, she turns to her daughter-in-laws, and she says, go back to Moab, to your families, so you will be provided for. So shake your finger at them. Okay, okay. And, nope, stay. All right. Uh <laughs> Uh, so her grief overtakes her. She tells her daughters, you know, go back to, to Moab. She, she knows this. Because they are Moabites, they're going to have a really hard time in Israel because they're the sworn enemy of Israel, right? They're going to have a hard time. Orpah and Ruth most likely will not remarry Naomi because, um, what's the polite way to say this? Um, she's on in years, not Angelica, but Naomi, the biblical <laughs> character. She's on in years. She probably won't remarry or bear any more children. And so um, this will lead the three of them to live in extreme poverty in Israel, right? And so uh, in an act of mercy and out of her own grief, she tells her daughter-in-laws to go back um, to, her, to their parents' house in Moab where they will be cared for and provided for, right? And Orpah's like, peace out. No, no, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Both daughter-in-laws emotionally embrace Naomi, and they will all weep together. But ultimately, Orpah decides to go back to Moab. Bye. After... (laughs) I love that this is going to live on forever. Um, After Orpah departs in an act of the utmost sincere loyalty, Ruth embraces Naomi one more time and says in Ruth, verse 1, 16 and 17, this is the famous passage from Ruth, and, and 16 through 17 say this, uh, so you can say it from memory, right? No, I'm just kidding. Okay, no. <laughs> uh, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. So Naomi was deeply moved by this act of love and loyalty. She saw that Ruth meant what she said so not knowing what lay ahead of them, right, they continued on to Bethlehem together. Can we thank our volunteers? <laughs> that, that, that right there is what you call some fine acting. <laughs> thank you guys, seriously. So, um, so Naomi and Ruth arrive at Bethlehem. I told you this is story time, right? This is story time. And uh, as expected, because Ruth is a Moabite and uh, Naomi is on in age, um, they are met with very, very real poverty, right? And so Naomi goes out to glean from the harvest nearby. And as the harvesters gathered uh, the grain from the fields, naturally, there would be little bits and pieces that fell to the ground behind them. And very poor people would go behind them and gather the bits and pieces to, make, to be able to make a small amount of food. And that's what they called gleaning, right? And um, eventually, the owner of the field, uh, a man named Boaz who wants to be boaz no i'm just kidding uh we're we're done with that um a man named boaz and even though um and even though ruth is from the country that's israel's sworn enemy boaz is kind to ruth he's He's very kind, he's generous, and he lets her glean all that she wants with no trouble from his workers. Boaz goes on to instruct his workers to purposely leave some stalks of grain on, on the ground behind them so that Ruth can gather them and they can make more food. And Boaz allows her to even sit at his table and eat till she has her fill. He even goes as far to send them some food back to Naomi. And when Ruth goes back and tells Naomi all that Boaz has done for them, Naomi exclaims this in uh, Ruth 2 verse 20. May the Lord bless him. Naomi told her daughter-in-law, He is showing his kindness to us as well as your, your dead husband. That man is one of our closest relatives, one of our family redeemers, family redeemers. Keep that in your mind. This concept of a family redeemer, or as it's known in many other translations, it's called a kinsman redeemer, kinsman redeemer. Kinsman redeemer is a cultural concept that is not something most people are familiar with. Uh, In this time period, when a husband died, a close male relative could redeem the man's um, family and his land. Uh, The redeemer could purchase the deceased husband's land at a great price, but he he was required to marry the widow right? So he could get the land for a really good price, like really cheap, but he was required to marry the widow. And any children, this is the really interesting part to me, this is what caught my eye, and any children that were birthed from the widow after that would carry on her deceased husband's name so that the family name could live on. You see, How this concept, um, I mean, we don't talk about this concept. It it may be slightly outdated. Um. (laughs) So when Naomi says Boaz is one of her closest relatives, one of her kinsmen redeemers, you can see why that is so significant, right? Uh, It's a possibility of their poverty being lifted and her family name being carried on in a very real sense, right? Even more than that, it was the possibility of being placed within family again. Ruth had lost all of her blood relatives, and this was a possibility for her to be placed in family again. And and from here on out, a beautiful love story unfolds between Boaz and Ruth, and uh, your homework assignment is to read the book of Ruth this week. Cool? Everybody agree? Okay, I'm taking a quiz next week. And from here on out, this beautiful love story unfolds. And Boaz is a no-nonsense farmer who's extremely generous and kind. And though Ruth is from another land, uh, from this account, we can see that she is loyal and an honorable woman, right? And eventually, Boaz redeems the land of Naomi's husband and her sons and marries Ruth, right? Uh, They have a son and name him Obed. Obed, another great name, Presley, if you're if you're if you're thinking, if you're taking name suggestions. Um, Naomi lost her whole family. Really press into this with me. Naomi lost her whole family, and here she is restored back into family. And Naomi raised the boy, Obed, as her own son. She lost her husband. She lost her two sons. And Ruth and Boaz have a new son that carries on her family name. And she gets to be grandma and and really be in the day-to-day of raising this child, Obed. And in the very last verse of this book, it makes an abrupt turn. It makes a really abrupt turn turn from the account of Ruth and Boaz to a list of genealogy. Now, who who's interested in genealogy, right? I got one of those accounts um, where it tells you where you're from and all that. Like, I got that. I'm, I, I'm cool. I'm cool. I'm cool with genealogy. Um, except for it keeps changing. Like, it started out, I was like really Scottish, and now I'm like, really Irish. And so I don't know what's going on. I'm a mixed bag. But um, but anyways, it makes this really crazy, abrupt change in the very last verses of the book of Ruth. And it, and it goes on to list a genealogy. And now remember, this baby was just born and his name was Obed. And here's what it says in the last verses of the book of Ruth. This is the genealogical I just messed up that word, but I'm going to keep going. Um, Record of their ancestor, Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron was the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Aminadab. Aminadab was the father of Nashon. Nashon was the father of Salmon. Salmon was the father of Boaz. Boaz was the father of Obed. Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of David. And David became the king that Israel needed, right? He became the king that God would use for years and years to come. And David would become the king that would build the temple for God's spirit to dwell in. And that's not to say David was perfect because David was actually deeply flawed, But his heart was tender to God, and he would become the greatest earthly king Israel would ever know. So why do we care? Why do we care about this genealogy? It's a nice story, but what does the book of Ruth have to do with me, right? Well, remember the culture that was in place when when the book of Ruth opened, Do you remember when we talked about the book of Judges? In those days, Israel had no king, and all the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. Israel was corrupt and had become irreverent towards God. It's it's in the subtle love story of Ruth that God begins to put his plan for the redemption of Israel into place. God is working behind the scenes in very normal things, unspectacular events, to move the storyline of the Bible along. And if you look at the 10,000-foot view of the Bible, God is continually moving the storyline along for our redemption, for our discipleship. And just like he's doing in the book of Ruth, subtly, small movements, unspectacular events in the book of Ruth to move that storyline along just like he's doing in your life right now. There are movements that God is making in your life that you may not recognize. Subtle, small movements that you may not recognize is moving God's plan for you along because he has the best for you. He knows more aptly than any of us could ever know what we most need next. In God's best, we've said it repeatedly, God's best is not always what we think the best is, right? But God knows what we need most next, right? And so I believe that God is making, just like he did in my life, there are, a, there are probably a million subtle, small movements in your life that God has been furthering your story along in, in, in his view of redemption. We may not notice them. We may not see them come all the way to full fruition. We may not see fully what God is doing, but trust me, behind the scenes, God is furthering the story of our lives along in the way that is best for us. Now remember the concept of the kinsman redeemer that we talked about earlier. The redeemer would marry the widow and any children birthed to her would carry on the deceased husband's name. Because Boaz was a kinsman redeemer, Obed would go on to live a life where he would not carry the name of his earthly father, but of his father that was in heaven. Just like Jesus. Jesus would not carry on Joseph's name, but the name given to Mary by his heavenly father who sent him. Jesus is the ultimate kinsman redeemer. Despite our circumstances and troubles, Jesus is willing to take us in, redeem us from our sins, and place us back into family. And the only death required in this redemption is the one that took place on the cross. It doesn't matter what race you are. It doesn't matter your status. It doesn't matter how spotted your past is. I'm proof of that. He welcomes everyone into his family. And nothing says that more subtly than the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew 1, where you will find not only Boaz's name, But Boaz's mother's name, Rahab, who was a prostitute. In the genealogy of Jesus, you will not only find King David, but his grandfather's name, Obed. You will find Obed's mother's name, Ruth, who was the race of Israel's sworn enemy. And yet God did a subtle but powerful work through her. So it begs the question, what may God be doing in your life right now that feels subtle? It doesn't really feel like a thing, but it might be a thing. the subtle work that God may be doing in your life, but if you can recognize it, this subtle work might have eternal ramifications for the kingdom of God and the people yet to enter into his family. So I just wanna go to prayer right now as the worship team comes. Owen, if you could just bring down the lights a little. What is the work, if we could just all bow our heads right now? What is the work that God is doing in your life right now that you may not have recognized yet? Holy Spirit, I ask you to reveal it. Make known the work that God is doing in your life. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, reveal. Holy Spirit, just begin to reveal how deep the Father's love actually goes for each and every one of my friends here right now. ask you to reveal any work that you're doing that is the long game. Lord, we live in an instant gratification world. We want to see results. We want to order a package and it be on our doorstep that same day. Who's got time to go to a store and buy a CD when we can just stream it on our phone the minute it comes out? Father, I ask you, Lord, allow us to lay down that instant gratification mindset, Lord. move our hearts and our storylines towards the work that you are doing. Allow us not to stand in your way, Father, but let us partner with you. No matter how subtle your work is, Lord, it has eternal ramifications. And so we just want to partner with the work that you're doing. So Holy Spirit, once again, I ask you to reveal, reveal the work that you're doing now or when the time is right, and we say yes. We say yes. Would you just say that with me? Yes. We say yes. Father God, thank you that you've called us and redeemed us back into your family, Lord. And for those in our lives and maybe here today that are not redeemed back into your family, Lord, I pray that you would give us opportunities to not not like go knock on doors or hand a flyer to, but just intimately share the work that you've done in our lives. Like how you've made us a new creation, Lord. Like we've made evangelism this big impersonal thing, God. But I, I believe, Lord, that you want people to know what, we've, what, what you've done in our lives, God. And so in subtle, small ways, give us opportunities to share your story in our lives. Father, we bring all this before you and we ask you to take everything that's of you this morning and plant it deep into our hearts so that it could grow and expand, Father. And I pray that anything that's just of me, Lord, just of my words, God, would fall off and we would all forget it. Come and have your way, Holy Spirit. It's in the mighty name of Jesus that we pray. And everybody said, amen. You are listening to the official podcast of The Mission Redlands. For more information, visit us at themissionredlands.com.